are back in the Football Shed, the podcast for football fans that live in the wrong time zone. My name's John Hewitt. Jeff King is here. Good day. And Roger Gibbs is here. Hello. The last one of the season. We've finally got to the end of the season. The never-ending season. It really, we've been, this season's lasted over a year, hasn't it? Yeah, I'm actually really excited. I save every podcast into a folder for each season. This season's folder is just getting so big and out of control. I need a new folder. We need to start. Well, we've not it. had a break. We've not had a break in a year, John. A year. No, more than a year. Do you know um, Lewandowski was 30 at the start of this season? He's 32 now. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. good. That? Yeah, that is. That's really the good. The whole of his 31 year was uh, during the one season. Say so 31. Um, yeah, I did. 31st. Um, Jeff, did you bring a drink to celebrate the last I word did. of the Today, I'm drinking coffee flavoured Baileys. <laughs> Aged 31th years. Because it it's was on Christmas. sale. And I thought, oh, you know, maybe that's the perfect combination of drink. You know, coffee, Baileys. What, what else could you need? Well, you, you do like make a coffee and then put Baileys in it, don't you? It's not very nice. It's oh, pretty intense. Not. Like, if you've not tried it at home, don't. No, okay. <laughs> I won't bother. Sell it to Rod, us. Have you got uh, anything uh, to do? Yeah, I've got... We had a um, a virtual pub crawl on the weekend, uh, John, as you know, and I've got a leftover beer from that that I didn't quite get to. It's a uh, revision brewing company, which I think is from the States, maybe, I'm going to say. Um, and it's a Glitter Moon... Mm-hmm. Northeast style hazy double IPA with tiny unicorns. They are just words. You just—it's predictive text that you just let run riot on your description. Is this the one your daughter picked in the bottle yeah. shop? Because it's got it's a the one my daughter picked because it's got a big, dirty great big unicorn on the front. <laughs> dirty great big unicorn. <laughs> well, that's great. Nine percent. Right, every week we start with a question. Which, oh, what, uh, what, what are you drinking, John? What are you drinking? Oh, me? I'm oh, sorry, yes. Well, guess. Okay, have a guess. <laughs> it's, the, it's the unicorn that threw you. It is. Wow. El Toro Macho. <laughs> Nothing else other than Aldi El Toro Macho. <laughs> I should maybe get a new drink for next season, but I don't think nah. that. If it isn't broke, John. No, exactly. Um, but yeah, every week we start with a question, which Roger's going to do again this week. Um, but I'll do the admin before that. If you want to get in contact, ask us a question, tell us we're wrong about something, you can find us on Facebook. Just search Football Shed or email us at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Um, and, of course, tell your mates so more people can hear us talk nonsense about football. Um, Rog, what are your questions for this week's Shed? Uh, so Champions League themed. Well, okay. that's appropriate because that's all there's been. Um a Frenchman, Kingsley Coman, scored in the final. Yes. He became the fifth Frenchman. Can you name me the other Frenchman? I reckon you'll get three of them. Um, scored in the final. Scored Zidane. in the Champions League final. Yes. Trezeguet? No. Good shout. Benzema. Benzema. Benzema, yes. Desai. Desai. And, and then the one that you won't get, wait, uh, Basil Basil Bolly, yes, oh. John Hewitt, great shout, nineteen ninety three. I read that earlier today. <laughs> uh, didn't have to tell us that. Uh, yes, yeah, Basil Bolly, nineteen ninety two, Marseille, <laughs> <laughs> ninety three. Ah, oh, damn it. Um, 
Go on, Jeff. What do you What did you think of the final? What did you enjoy it? Was it a good game of football? I thought it was a genuinely very good game of football, and I think that that I listened to the BBC report straight away afterwards. They do the kind of podcast that comes out after the game, and Chris Waddle was on there going, "Oh, it wasn't much of a spectacle. Wasn't a very good." Game. I thought it was a brilliant game of football. I thought it was tense. I thought there was two teams that were good who were battling it out against each other and couldn't quite get past each other. Bayern Munich was a better team in the second half by far, but you always felt that PSG had something on the counter-attack because they've got Neymar and Mbappe and Di Maria. You thought they could do something. I thought it was a brilliant final, but everyone else seems to think it was crap. (laughs) Well, it's very rare that you get a final that's more exciting, if you know what I mean. The finals Mm. are often 1-0, 1-0 decided on penalties, nil-nils. They're, they're very kind of rigid and defensive displays. Um, I agree with you, John. I, th- I thought the there was always the feeling that something could happen on the counter. And there were, from you know, I don't think there was very good defending on, on show. Uh, there were times where PSG just sliced them open, but also PSG can't defend a far post at yeah. all, no. ever. <laughs> even, even if their far post has been exposed six times before in the same half of football, they still can't defend a far post. So I, th- I think there was always a chance that something could happen and almost more should have. I think um, uh, there should have been a couple of penalties in my opinion. I, yeah, I, th- well, I, think... I, well, I was going to say, I thought the Mbappe one's a penalty. Every I so time. I, yeah. don't, I have no... I don't understand why that wasn't a penalty. Yeah, Especially when you've got the AR. Three or four people or whatever and he's turned inside and he's running in that direction and the only reason he stopped running is because someone kicks the back of his leg which in theory is a foul anywhere else on the pitch that is a foul every day of the week therefore it's a penalty yeah especially um you you know i know referees don't say that they do but they obviously do and and you hear interviews with them and they do when a player is jinking left and right and being all kind of twinkle toes and they get brought down, it's more often than not a foul because, you know, it's, you're under the impression that the player won't have, won't have dived. You, you know, somewhat, you, you feel like the defender has just been, they're fed up of it and they're going to, going to chop them. And you see that all the time. And you see players just put their hands up going, yeah, I just chopped him because, you know, he's, and, and Mbeppe did that in the box. Yeah. So it's, in my opinion, it's a penalty. At Ronaldo I, used to do it every week. He'd you know get he'd just do uh, triple, quadruple, um, step overs, times ten step over, and then someone would foul him and he get penalty. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just you, thought it was a penalty every time. Did you um, re- read this? There's a, a Phil Neville interview this week. Sorry, I'm going to digress already. Yeah, it's the last of the season. <laughs> Phil Neville. Do you remember there was a time where Phil Neville was playing for Everton at right back, and they played Manchester United when Ronaldo was at Man United. So Phil yeah. Neville had just moved for Everton, yeah. and Everton were having a, a turgid season until this one moment in this game where Ronaldo tried to twinkle toes his way around, and Phil Neville just slid in from distance and scythed him out. It was <laughs> such a blatant foul. Didn't get sent off, but it was just like. Fuck you, Ronaldo. <laughs> it gave an interview this week where he was asked about that challenge because it was it was that was the thing that turned Everton season around that year. It's given an interview and he said that when he stood up, he saw Giggsy and he's he, obviously he's played, he just signed from Man United. Yeah. He says Giggsy just walked up to him and went, "Yeah, I'd have done that to him too if he came up my wing." <laughs> and then at the end of the game, Ronaldo went up to him and said, "Yeah, I'd have done that." <laughs> 
absolutely genius anyway yeah sorry yeah. As we, as you a were. long way from the Champions League final to Everton <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I don't know how you managed it Jeff in the first five minutes you got us on to Everton um, but then there was another penalty at the other end for Bayern I can't there's someone went through didn't they I'm having vague recollections there should have been another penalty at the other end well, yeah, I, I think the, it should have been one apiece for, for penalties. Um, and actually, if Di Maria was had his eye on goal a bit better, I think oh. PSG should have that first had, chance had better chances, really. When he put it over the top. Yeah, he put it over the top. But the first time he gets it, he could have just gone straight through on his right foot. Shot, and, or even crossed it because Neymar was hanging at the back post. But he tried to put it back in on his left and then just ran into traffic. Um, yeah, and then he's just had to use the swinger to... Yeah. But, um, right, he should have. If he's going to use a swinger, he used it for the first time. Yeah, but uh, Bayern basically deserve to win. Um, does that make Bayern the best team in Europe? Well, I mean, they only conceded a few goals in this whole Champions League campaign. Um, they play a type of football that is both attractive and efficient. It's aggressive. Um, we've we've discussed it, I think, a few weeks back that the type of football Bayern play might even be the next cycle of footballing style. So not it's not just um, it's not just good football. It might be a style that's adopted across the continent, and, and I think that is a huge compliment to a football club. You know, it's happened with Barcelona. It's, it's happened, happened with Ajax, where where your type of football changes the way they play. I think that what I see from Bayern, I wouldn't be surprised if a more if a more aggressive, direct football is adopted next year over the play it out from the back, pass it from back to front, play triangles type of football we've seen for the last two years. And I think that in itself, to answer your question, John, would say that Bayern are absolutely the best team in the world right now. You know, I, I thought about this question today and b- before you had it on our prompts for discussion during the podcast, John, <laughs> I was contemplating this and I... A little bit of me is disappointed that we had that last round of games before lockdown and Liverpool got um, didn't quite make it, obviously. There was a quite extraordinary game um, against Atletico. And I think Liverpool would have something to say about um, Bayern being the best team in Europe. And I think it's a bit of a shame they weren't here. I think at the moment they are the, clearly the two best teams. Mm. Um I'd I'm love not to see them play each other. Yeah, I'm not sure I would put Bayern ahead of Liverpool the way Liverpool have played the last two years. It's a little bit harder to quantify because Bayern do play in a monkey league. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, and you, you'd have to say as well that, I mean, stylistically, you know, Klopp has had a massive influence and, um, you know, the the, the Gengen press, the, the pressing is is a um, something that has become you know, commonplace across so many teams in the in the Premier League. And I think Bayern have kind of been doing the, you know, technically good, but with a physicality thing for a while. Like that was the main difference with Pep between mm. his Bayern team and his Barcelona team was still play good football, but it's just... But they're all phys- six foot six. Yeah, it's a bit more physical. So I don't know if they're doing anything particularly different at Bayern. For me, I think the most impressive thing that Bayern have done is assemble that team for not huge amounts of money. 
like I said, I think it's like a hundred, hundred million. Yeah. And you know, there's still growth in that team because a lot of their players, um, you know, they've got a few that are obviously Lewandowski's getting towards the end of his career, and um, there's a few others, but a lot of them are going to be a, you know, they got a teenager at left back. They're about to have Sane in front of him. Um, they're not going to go anywhere. I, I just, I would have loved to see them play each other just because it's a bit of contrast. I disagree, Roger. I do actually think they're doing something different. I think that um, it feels like every player on the pitch for Bayern is willing to run with the ball. They're willing to drive the ball forwards themselves, like to take responsibility and walk forwards and walk forwards with intent. And it feels like that is, that's a rarity. You, you know, we, we watch, as you said, the, the kind of German influence on the Premier League and the, the Gengen press, but they are quick to release the ball from the back. They're not releasing long passes, apart from Liverpool, who were the biggest long ball team in the league last year. They're, they're, <laughs> they are, the long ball isn't bad if people no, think yeah, you're a short right. passing team. Like it, it has its place. Well, and you've but, got, um, two, you know, in Henderson and um, Alexander Arnold, you've got two of the best. Long past, yeah, of course, yeah. So when football started, you know, when the when the game was invented and, and settled on the rules, so back in the eighteen seventies, <laughs> we're going back a bit now. Well, I'm just saying that there were there were two different schools of tactics. There were there was the the passing game and the running with the ball game, and they were very very basic versions of what we see today. You know, so much so that um, you know, tactically, you were told to stand still and pass it to each other or tactically you're told to run as fast as you can and the rest of your team were there to keep everyone else from basically rugby tackling you. Like it was real kind of yeah. basic versions. But the, the debate of kind of running with the ball versus passing the ball has been raging ever since, you know, and, and we all settled on passing with the ball. That's why we have set formations. It's, it's why we know that that's the quickest way to get from back to front is to pass the ball through your team. But... Uh, you know, I feel like what I see Bayern do is there. there is a willingness to be big and strong and run in the way we used to do in the 1870s. And that in itself is quite a nice thing to see. Yeah, it's kind of a transition team. Yeah. Like, it's a bit Mourinho-esque in a way, though, they, because it's quite, it is quite transitionary. But mm. they have, I think the big thing for me and why they're, is so good is the pl- I don't know whether it's the players in their system that are driving that because you know their coach um, is obviously hasn't been in the job that long came in this Eight season months, last season three trophies yeah but I just um, solid start the pace that they have on both flanks and the fact that Muller is a brilliant like in the moment player like Muller doesn't wouldn't fit in a Barcelona team He's not a ticky-tacker player, but he is great in the transition because he's great at making. He can run him, run him behind. Um, you know, he can do something, but he can do something unexpected. He can harry, but he's better to be a player that reacts in the moment rather than somebody that is going to be a you know a pep type where he can just he's just going to you know on a carousel and pass the team. So, I, I mean, I kind of think the way Bayern are playing really plays to Muller's strengths. Yeah. But I also think that it's almost a bit like so there's an old-fashioned thing, Jeff, as well, in that it's pace out wide. Like, you know, that's I mean, a lot of yeah. it. That is what they do. And that is it's hard to defend when you've got that on both flanks. And then you've also got, you know, players that can... They've got, they've got pace the out wide and, and then Lewandowski's huge and big and strong. And then you've got Sula came on at centre-back. He's a big beast of a human. 
Um, and then I thought Goretzka in centre midfield was absolutely brilliant. And He's I'm had a really, great year. Yeah, yeah, I've not really watched much of him, um, but he was he was box to box, old school kind of Steven Gerrard style midfielder. Can pass, can tackle, run, do everything. Just you do it all, um, and we'll let you do it. And I, he was amazing. I thought. So for everyone who doesn't give a shit about German football listening to this, how about we talk about French football, which you definitely won't give a shit about. Um, what do you reckon of PSG? Yeah. Well, yeah, so what, like, I was, next for PSG, do they, what happens to them next? Do they make it to the final again or are they all over? Is this, was this their time and Neymar cried and now it's all over? Yes. I don't, I, well, no, I'm going to say no because I oh. saw... Be- Partly because they got quite close. And so I kind of feel that um, if they got tonked, then maybe. But they were very, they were essentially a few key moments away of, you know, it, it made you realise again. Made me think, what would Liverpool do in for two years having a clown um, as their last line of defence? <laughs> because, again, you watched it in this final. Neuer made two exceptional saves is yeah. you know Schmeichel-esque the way he sort of yeah, for, oh, yeah. stood up you just realise in these in the biggest games how important that is and Neymar missed a couple of opportunities but I think yes Bayern deserved to win but PSG weren't that far away uh, to the point where I think that that might um, but Thomas Tuchel you know, didn't make some keep massive their players, errors though, didn't he Thomas Tuchel took off um, Di Maria and put on um, to promoting yeah. rather than Mario Accardi, who they spent 50 million on, who's a proven striker at the highest level, who's been captain of Inter since he was a kid. But done nothing at PSG. Hasn't done anything, but w- would you rather bring on Accardi or a guy who got relegated with Stoke? Like, you're uh, going to bring on Accardi. Yeah. Right? And look, I think what's more likely is that Tuchel will go. <laughs> I mean, there's another element to this, which is in the COVID world. And, you know, who can afford to buy Neymar and Mbappe? Uh, Man City. Yeah, true. And they'll get away uh, with and it. I, and I don't say that flippantly, but, but I'm saying it because they don't, just don't give a shit about the rules. So they can buy whoever they want <laughs> <Yeah>. and just <laughs> but stone I, more you for five years and everything's fine. Yeah, but, I do, and maybe Barca, depending, you know, what happens. Well, so, OK, on that, to, f- to finish off on the final, does, and Jeff, you mentioned this on WhatsApp this week, does it make it a hollow victory because it's the COVID final. Will it all forever have an asterisk and we'll all go, well, yeah, Bayern won it in 2020, but you know what? They didn't really win it because... It, it of, oh, yes, absolutely yes. And I don't, think that's, I don't think that's fair because if you win anything, you've won it. You know, you can only mm. win in the format that's presented to you. But there is, there is a massive gap in fitness between the French sides who are the only major league in Europe, as we've discussed, who, who cancelled their league during the, the shutdowns versus the rest, which is one of the reasons why they got so far. You know, Lille were amazing because they, they just mm. um, they just pushed and pushed and pushed. And, and um, sorry, not Lille, Leon, Leon. Leon. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. pardon me. Um, so I, I do think there's an asterisk next to it. I think the single knockout, you know, it not being two legs, of course, there's an asterisk next. You play a different game of football where it's not two legs. You, it, it's um, yeah. Oh, don't you like the way that you have two-legged ties in a game where you play with two legs? <laughs> You're an idiot. 
Have you, yeah. you noticed that? You're, I, you're I really appreciate, appreciate that in football. <laughs> <laughs> like a one, um, a one-legged I, I match think, would be real good. <laughs> I think it will forever be known as a slightly weird win, but I, I liked the single game knockout side of it, and I don't mind that at all. So I think that um, made me. It made it feel a bit like a World Cup. Yeah, exactly. But then I, the other thing is, I don't know whether I was excited about it, and I liked it because. Is that just the scenario we're in? And that, and it, you know, if they say if they had just introduced it in a normal season, would I have been outraged about, you know, changing the format? And you know, whereas in this world, it was just great to, that they could have the tournament and have that yeah. condensed football. But I, I mean, I, I like knockout. I mean, the, personally, I think you know the most exciting football that we watch is the knockout stages of the World Cup. Um, and to me. Some of, I think I, I feel like the, the two-legged nature of the Champions League ties takes a little bit away from it. From me, yeah, I'm not as excited about the Champions League because of having the two legs. And generally, over a two-legged tie, you know, the the bigger teams tend to come out on top. Um, in the Europa League final, Sevilla won the Europa League for the 467th time. Because Sevilla! That's, that's, they always win it. Um, they won 3-2. This um, wasn't a 1-0 turge fest, Jeff. No, no it was no. a goal fest. It was a great game. Um, but then Inter Milan lost after Lukaku scored an own goal, trying to clear an overhead, which I, I, felt, oh, I really felt for Lukaku. Yeah. It was like it was a spur of the moment thing. The guy does an overhead. He's just stuck a leg out to get rid of it. If he had done nothing, it would have gone wide and just, like, just wide. Yeah. Like it was a great overhead kick, but it was just a panic and just stuck a leg out, and then it's all gone wrong. It's one I think most players in that situation would get a foot on it. Like mm. you, you, it's very hard to just let that go. Yeah. When it's hit that well as well, and it's coming at you quite quickly, your instinctive reaction is try and get something in the way, <laughs> yeah. not move out the way. And you would always, if you're 50-50, you'd always go, I'd rather get a foot on it and it go wrong than leave it and it go wrong. Because yeah. if you leave and it goes wrong, you really look like a dick. Yeah. I think it's just um, one of those things, just really can unlucky. I, can I ask you a question that really surprised me? Um, how many trophies do you think Lukaku has won in his mm, footballing none? career? None or one? He's won one trophy. Is and that, that is with, League? with Feyenoord. Um, and, and, and this is a bloke, um, sorry, Anderlecht. This is a bloke who's played for Chelsea, United and Inter. He scored and 228 goals. Did he win the Everton Cup? Did they come seventh? Oh yeah, he probably won the Everton <laughs> Cup, yeah. <laughs> he did, he did. We, we do get a trophy for that every year. Um, 228 goals, he's 27 years old. He's played for some of the biggest teams in Europe and he's only won a single trophy. I do think Inter, I really hope next year that Inter win the league. I think, I hope that Conte stays. I hope that they work out their arguments and that Inter go on and win the league. Um, and partly so that Juventus don't win. But yeah, well, I, I'd take it like, I'd love it if Atalanta won or, or like, or Lazio or Napoli or like, I just hope that it's not Juventus again. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> um, so that's the European finals. Um, let's move on to exciting things in the English world. The English squad was announced and uh, Harry Maguire was uh, named in the squad and then four <laughs> hours later taken out of the squad because he's been found guilty of getting in a fight in Greece, basically. Oh. <laughs> uh, 
Well, no, it's, oh, it wasn't. It wasn't yeah. getting in a fight. Um, I can't remember the exact, but they're like public order offences. It was the, it yeah. was a policeman, so I think he was abusive and and then tried to bribe him, and then tried to bribe him or something. Like, do you know? These now, this is I haven't actually read much on this, so this is my uninformed, uh, you know, immediate reaction to this. But I, I've been to um, one of these. I don't know if it was where was it. It wasn't. Mykonos. Mykonos. Oh, it was Mykonos. So it's one of the big pie resorts. So yeah. I've been to one of those before in Greece in my younger days. Mm. And um Got in a fight, got arrested. No, I didn't get in a fight, I didn't do anything like that. But it's Did you bribe these, someone? These are the no, but these are the but I definitely disgraced myself on more than one occasion. <laughs> but these are the kind of places where there is that conflict between um English tourists of the economy. And they come in, so you know, people they feel like they need the tourists coming in because that is ninety percent of their economy. There's friction because you get a lot of louts coming in, and you know, just getting pissed and causing carnage, and it's it's horrible, and they destroy your town, and you can't wait until they're all gone. But then you need them because they're bringing the money, and then you also put, you know, so you've got that environment, you've got lots of alcohol involved, and then you put the police in there who have to try and police this and so it's a very difficult position but generally and i'm I, you know this is a huge generalization but a lot of the time the policemen there can be well no, no no they can just it's a difficult scenario and they can be quite um confrontational as well because yeah. they're constantly having to deal with a bunch of english dickheads yeah and it is very much like in that environment the police are not you would not go and talk to the police you basically want to stay away from them because it you know it could it could go anyway so i think whatever harry maguire has done in the worst case he's you know done something that he should go to well, prison for well, in the, the least what, case he's just been well, let, let me give you let me give you some yeah. some background go yeah, on, John. A bit of background go on okay, then, okay so um Oh, there's there's two different stories here. There's there's the police and there's the what Harry Maguire's lawyer has said in court, which is his defence. So he's obviously they're they're appealing. So those who don't know, he's he's was convicted, so he's guilty, which has a suspended sentence of I think 220 days, 10 days in prison, something like that. Um, he's appealing straight away. They said they were appealing. So so Harry Maguire's accounts of things is that um, two Albanian men approached his sister and injected her with something. She mm. fainted instantly. So him and his brother crowded around his sister trying to get transport to take her to hospital. Instead of being taken to hospital, they dropped them off at the police station, to which point the Maguire brothers were quite irate about the whole thing, as if that's true, you would expect. Which is Sorry, when he said... Their, their sister. This is yeah. Their sister, yeah. yeah. Their sister. So this is when what his lawyer said... Um, at the police station, he started saying, do you know who I am? I'm the captain of Man United. I can pay you. Let us go. And then they started kicking him and kicking his legs, going, your career's over. Um, that's what the lawyer has said, mm-hmm. which is why they're appealing the case. Uh, now, we just don't know what's gone on. No. We know that there's something murky in all of this. And the convictions come through in like two and a half days. So they've kind of done it, got it through, and got it out. We don't know what's happened, but also I do know that... Um, 
when football fans see other footballers or see footballers on holiday and you're in Greece and you're like, oh, look, there's Harry Maguire. People shout abuse. Yeah. And he was on holiday with Marcus Rashford um, and I think a couple of other guys from Man United. And I think they were just getting shouted at every place they're going. They're constantly getting abused all day. They want to have their holiday. Then your sister allegedly gets stabbed with a needle and then faints. No wonder you lose your rag. And from everything we know about Harry Maguire, we obviously don't know him as an individual. We don't know what he's like day to day. But everything you see, hear, read... He seems like an upstanding, okay kind of He's not of in guy. the Grealish and Madison club. No, exactly. So I think uh, we'll see what happens. Talking of the Grealish and Madison, let's go on to the England squad. So the England squad was announced. Um, Phil Foden's in it. Greenwood's in it. Um, no Jack Grealish. Phil Foden's now... in it. Of course Phil Foden's in it. He's everyone's favourite player. <laughs> He's the best in the world, isn't he? He's Lionel, Phil Foden, Messi. But I, we have a question from Phil on Facebook about Phil Jack Foden. Grealish. No, about Jack Grealish not being is, is Phil Madley <laughs> on Facebook asking why uh, Jack Grealish is not in the squad. And he says, genuine question, regardless of the twatometer, why the fuck is Jack Grealish as a, not in the squad? As a Villa fan, I'm biased, biased, but what more does a player need to do? Needs Premier League experience, second most um, creative midfielder after Bruyne, but then Calvin Phillips gets a call-up without a single game. There's also lockdown discretions, but also other players have done that. So why does Jack Grealish not get in? Mm. Well, I great, think, great question. Yeah, I mean, I think Southgate has shown unerring loyalty to some players. Mm. Eric Dyer. And then he's kind of shown... Uh, yeah, Pickford. There's, you know, there's a there's a few uh, DCL. Like you know, he's sort of some of those players that he came through the youth ranks with. He's him, not but... picked DCL. No, has he had him? He's had him in squad, hasn't he? No, no he's never, never got a call up. Don't oh, okay, sorry. I there's been him a, in this one because there's been exactly a couple of others. But I just there's um, he's also done the opposite with some players that haven't come in, and I mm. think for some for whatever reason, Grealish is one of those. Now I. I I have had a lot of good things to say about Gareth, as you know. Surprisingly so. He's come a long way since the laxative-inducing chocolate bar analogies. <laughs> but I disagree with this one because I think the from, na- from now onwards, the teams and the squads that we are picking for England have to have the Euros in mind, without a doubt. Now, to me, there is no question in the world that Jack Grealish is in our is in our squad. He's in our best twenty-two players, and I think he's actually probably in our best eleven, or not far from it. And so, why are we not taking this opportunity to see him play? And then I look at some of the other players that have come in that you know you're a bit surprised about so you know john you 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 talked about calvin phillips but more i'm thinking of dyer winks james ward prowse i'm excited to see ward prowse but like dyer and winks we know what they can do yeah what are we actually gaining by playing them in this game as opposed to someone like a Grealish? well i think winks has to play because we've got a lack of midfielders but um the southgate came out and said on Grealish, he doesn't see him as a midfielder he sees him as one of the front three or four, and he doesn't think he's good enough to be ahead of Greenwood, Sancho, Rashford, Kane, Sterling, which, I mean, that's an amazing front five or six we got there. 
and he doesn't see them as better than those guys. And they don't play with a number 10, which is where Madison's fallen down because Madison can't play in a midfield three or a front three. He plays as a number 10 and that's it. So I think that Southgate's reasoning is that he doesn't play in a position that can actually fit into the team. So why pick him? Which I kind of see. But I've also, got total respect we all for think that opinion, he's an, John. But we think he's an eight though. Like, and I think yeah. he can. What? Why can't, if he's good enough, put him in the squad and see see if he can play there? Yeah. I think that's... I. I really do buy into that logic John and and we look at failed England sides of the past and we look at poor skulls playing out wide you know we go we're going to pick our best players whether they fit into the side or not and just put them on the park and hope they do a good job and, and we did that for years and it didn't work and I think if Gareth Southgate has got a, a way of playing football a formation a style that requires a certain formation and players that are used to it if he has got three players in a position that he thinks Jack Grealish plays, that he thinks is better than Jack Grealish, then why take him? He, th- that's not a problem he needs to solve. I, I, but, I, agree, I agree to a point, but I think if you're going to look at a player, and I think he is the kind of player that is good enough to play in a different position and still add something to the team, and I think it could be his natural position in a better team, this is, this is when you should be trying it. Exactly. I, I do think Grealish has proven himself for a whole year in the Premier League and basically carried a team and kept them in the Premier League. So to keep a team in the Premier League single-handedly as captain, you think he takes a bit of responsibility. So if you turn around to him and say, you've got to play eight, work out how to do it for England, he'd go, yeah, all right, I'll work that he, out. He deserves it. I agree with Southgate's logic, but Grealish deserves it. And and you've got you to gotta think, like he, he's sending a message to all the dickheads out there, right? Obviously, he is because he's he's yeah. done the same with Madison. He's been you know, listening the lo- to our um, twatometer. Yeah, definitely. He's just just chalked off everyone we've called a twat for ages, which is which is <laughs> nice. It's nice that he agrees with us. But you've got to have hope. As a twat, you have to aspire to being a non-twat. <laughs> and so you've got to think that if you're a Grealish or a Madison, there has to be a route out of twatdom for you to take. <laughs> and, and if you see someone like Grealish do what he did this year, apart from obviously you know being a bit of a prick during the lockdown as Phil rightly says a bunch of other players were pricked during lockdown you know it's hard for players mm. um, it's hard for everyone but you've got to he's got to show a pathway out of being labelled a twat and the sooner he does that the sooner he'll get a tune out of more twats and England for all of their problems have got a lot of twat football players <laughs> <laughs> and the, the more you can show the light to them like if you're not twat for a long time then you, you'll, be, you'll be able to play feel like in the last three minutes we said twat about 37 times, so sorry, everyone. A lot of, um, a lot of twats. Who's going to play left-back? I was going to say, like, he's not picked one left-back. Now, Tyrone Mings can play left-back. Oh, but, that, well, but there's no one else <laughs> in the squad. There is no left-back. I, I just think it's bizarre. It's like, I mean, you talk, always talk about left-back in the changing room, and I'm, I'm like, this is, this is so no bizarre. One. There is literally he'll, no left-back. He'll play back. three at the back when he... Yeah, that's what, exactly what I think. Yeah. He's going to go three at the back. Has to be. Um, and he's brought in Eric Dyer as a centre-back. So I think and he's going to play Eric Dyer at centre-back alongside whoever. Mings. Who on earth is Calvin Phillips? So Calvin Phillips plays for Leeds in centre midfield. Um, he's a defensive centre midfielder, but could also pass. Uh, and basically, he's been really good since Bielsa's coming in. He's Leeds. Bielsa's boy, which I think, you know... You put a lot of credence in that. He was. Just, oh, he shut was, up! He's the next Phil Foden. He was. <laughs> no, 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 no. He was like a standard sort of box to box 
midfielder. Like he's a decent player before Bielsa came along, but he was very much in the mold of a typical English box to box player. And then Bielsa basically said, "You're, you know, you're the guy that I want to sit at the base of midfield and run things. So defensive midfielder that can play football." And he's been in Bielsa's time. I would say he's been Leeds. Or if not the best player, you know, one of the top two or three, the, the time he's, he's been there. So, I, I, I mean, and it's a shock because he doesn't play in the Premier League, but I um, I think he's deserving of it. Um, and I think the three at the back thing, do we also suspect that might have something to do with Maguire going out? So, well, no, you know... The, Maguire was in the squad, squad with Maguire. Uh, oh, and he's just been withdrawn. Yeah, so he'd already yeah. made that decision. Okay, yeah. It's, but I um, just find that odd. Yeah, but the um, the other one I wanted to mention in the England squad before we move off is the fact that uh, Danny Ings is in the squad, which is uh, wholly deserved, and I hope he yeah. actually gets on the field and scores a goal. Cause I'd like to see him do that. Let's move on to uh, the world of transfers now, Jeff. I wanted to start with you because uh, you messaged us this week and said that we all uh, live in a dreamland, apparently, <laughs> transfers, and we have no idea what's going on, and we all just live in. Cloud cuckoo world. <laughs> so explain why we do. No, right, okay. Let me. Firstly, I think you've explained it very well, John. Um, I read endless stories about clubs turning down ridiculous money for average players. The last three or four weeks, I've seen, I've seen, you know, Bournemouth turn down thirty million pounds for um, Callum Wilson. Yeah, for. for, for a typical insert Callum Wilson style player in this in this conversation. David Brooks. Yeah. Um, I've seen Watford turn down thirty million pounds for Decore, and, and I've 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 looked at this and I've thought, you people don't know you're fucked yet. Yeah. And what I mean by that is, you know, crowds are not coming back to stadiums in two weeks when the football season starts again. You know, we're we're not there yet, and we are. There are still clubs who have valued their players the same way that they were valued a year ago. And we are looking at this going, well, clubs are just not going to buy them. They're just not. They're going to go, I don't. You, okay, look at, um, of course, I'm sorry if I keep bringing up Everton, but I, I do that every week. But, um, <laughs> we expect nothing less. Gabriel, the... the um, centre-back going to... Centre-back going Arsenal. to Arsenal or Man United or Napoli yeah. or everywhere else that he's, he's been touted for. Everton had a bid agreed for him pre-COVID and then dropped it post-COVID and said, no, we don't think he's worth that much anymore because the market's changed. And then just, just dropped out completely. When, uh, well, we're not going to pay. If you think he's still worth that, we don't because everything's changed and we'll all catch up. And obviously we spoke about the lack of defenders and obviously everyone in the, and their monkey just started jumping in to, to get this bloke for £30 million or whatever he's going mm. for. But we're seeing inflated prices or, or one minute, let me, let me put this right. Clubs turning down exceptionally good money for players who are not worth that money now and we will get to a point where they panic they if you think that player is not is worth more now wait till january wait till the next transfer window when everyone's even more fucked and you're desperate to sell them you're not going to get anywhere near the money you're going to get now yeah and i think this thing because the transfer window now is open until october so there's this weird elongated transfer window that goes into the season which everyone's not quite sure how to play. I think everyone's just going, no, no, no. And then I think you might be right. I think we might get to the end of September and everyone starts panicking, going, oh, God, we've got this guy on our wage bill that we can't get rid of, and he's going to cost us a huge amount. And someone offered us 40, but now we're only getting 15 for him. 
Do we just sell him? Like, what and do once we do? you're in a deflating market, they're going to go, okay, well, this player is on our wage bill. And if we turn down the £30 million now, he's going to be worth £24 million in three months. Yeah. And that's because, that's because there'll be a realisation in the football marketplace that everything has changed. And the sooner clubs accept that and are comfortable with that, the better they will be because they will be able to make forward steps early. But Whereas- it's not easy to do. I think that's the, like when you've been in the bubble for so long, you know, and you've had this golden goose, which the Premier League is, that kind of sits outside of life because it just keeps making money year after year after year and so much money. I think it's hard to suddenly readjust. Do you know what I mean? So I agree, Jeff. I think there's an element here of not necessarily, it's either not, realizing where the world is at and that the Premier League is affected or it's hoping that the Premier League's not and it will continue to sort of function in this rarefied bubble outside of the rest of the real world and this kind of money is still acceptable for players but if that doesn't that's a massive risk because if if they're calculating that risk they could you know we're talking about we're talking about clubs will go bust and this isn't over you know clubs are going to be in huge financial difficulty this season as well and potentially next season so it's that's that's the thing you you, there's you have to accept and this is with all life right now everyone listening on this with life accepts (laughs) that everything is different And, and it isn't a case of waiting for it to be back the way it was and the longer you can wait, the better you are. Everything is different. And the sooner you reflect and react to the fact that things are different, the better you'll be in this new world. And, and that is an absolute mainstay in, in how you survive a bubble. The sooner you realize that the bubble has actually burst, it's not bursting, it's not going to burst, it's burst. burst. The sooner you realize that, the more ahead of the game you are of everyone who hasn't realized it yet. And if you're the last person to realize the bubble's burst, you're sitting on what you thought was a huge asset that is now worth fuck all. And that is exactly what's going to happen up and down the footballing pyramid. And I'm seeing these clubs that were relegated last year who haven't realized that their bubble has burst. And I get what you say, Roger. It's hard. It's financially hard. It's hard to take, swallow that pill, but it's only going to get worse if you don't. Well, there is one other aspect to this, though, which is that there are now a huge number of football clubs in the UK that are owned by a very small portion of the world's population who have actually got richer during this period. So depending on what the financial fair play regulations are and if they go on freeze, Maybe the TV money and things like that don't matter as much. But then also those people who buy football clubs who are from that 1% or 0.1% or whatever it is that buy the football clubs, they use it as a just kind of a fun thing. I've got shitloads of money. I'll pay a bit of money to have a championship football club and hopefully get in the Premier League. When it starts hemorrhaging money for them, they're going to go, they care. Yeah. pull my money out. Um, so when they that starts happening, they'll just disappear. And especially because they're the ones who know the bubble is bursting. They're the people on the front end of the bubble. Yeah. They are bursting the bubble themselves. But I, I just, it's, it'd be, we don't know. We still don't know exactly what it's going to look like. And I agree. I think there's an element here of, you know, risk. It's a risk management approach. And I think if someone, if you are the set, if you're the club that's selling and someone is offering you decent money, and I would say 30 million is not too far off what Decore is worth. You take that now because exactly you right. are, you are yep. taking so much more risk by hoping that you might get a better offer for you it. You might get 35. In, right. in a few, like, whereas it could be 10. 
there's so much more i just i completely agree jeff i, th- I think yeah they, they all need to engage good risk management consultants and somebody like bournemouth could be in real real trouble we've already talked about this you know that how much of their um turnover goes on wages and they're mm. now in the championship and the worst thing to happen to them and i'm sorry if this sounds naive but the worst thing to happen to them is that nathan ake sold for 40 million because yeah. that, that solidified their risk management strategy, which is crap. You know, there are a few clubs in the world that are owned, you know, like PSG and Manchester City who can who can afford to buy. But what we used to think were the clubs that everyone would end up at, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, can't afford anyone. They're fucked. The, the, the top of the Christmas tree is crumbled. It's not just the bottom. The top's going down too. Let's, and benevolent uh, well, owners can, you know, can come and go. But the Christmas tree is broken. Let's go back to the top of the Christmas tree where there's a little guy called Lionel Messi sat on top um, who has today announced that he wants to leave Barcelona. So the best player in the world, the best player ever, possibly, has just gone, I'll send a fax. <laughs> yeah, now Which... this, for me, this was the biggest thing about this story. <laughs> I'll send a fax. But um, apparently it's in his contract that if he sends said fax... Um, he is allowed to leave for free. So the idea is that in his contract, it has a clause that he can leave for free at any point up till the end of the season um, if he says, sends his fax in. So he sends his fax in to go, I want to leave. Do you Barcelona think specifies fax? Yeah. <laughs> like it actually fax. says fax. Yeah. It's so bizarre. But uh, Barcelona are saying, well, the end of the season was the 30th of June. So they're saying that this part of the contract is null and void so that you can't leave. And he's going, well, no, this, the end of the season was when the Champions League happened and finished, so I can go. So there's going to be a big legal argument about whether he can or can't go. Jesus. But even if he can go, who can sign him? Man who City. on earth? Man City. But the- when, if you're Man City, would signing Lionel Messi actually be good? Because in reality, what you have to do is build your team around a 33, almost 34-year-old who's slow, not as fit as he used to be. Obviously, he's incredible and the best player on the planet, but you have to throw out your ethos that you've built for years and years and years and go, oh, little guy who's amazing, we suddenly have to build a team around you for the next two years when you're quite old and coming to the end of your career. Is there any logic? He's already 33. Isn't this just his annual contract review process i thought so but it's all changed a bit it's it's really turned south it's turned sour um i mean barcelona are in a huge financial problem a huge financial crisis they, they, they've got a billion dollars on their wage books highest you, highest wages well, 100 million so the highest wages in on the planet of any sports club talking of their wage problem as well and their financial problem the presidential reign ends in march i think when it goes if they're in debt at any point when the president who's in charge um, leaves, he has to pay off the debt. So if it's $6, he pays $6. If it's $600 million, he pays $600 million. Wow. So there is a big run for him to go, shit, I need to work this out and get us back to zero quickly, which is you know- why every player's up for sale. My biggest thing with this, or Jeff, it's funny, you've been talking about all their players, all their team being up for sale for ages, but my my big thing with this isn't necessarily Messi. 
And I agree, John. I don't really know where else Messi can go apart from Barcelona. It's a really interesting one when you think about it. He's the best player in the world, but where does he go? But um, Koeman is the more interesting part to this story for me. And obviously he's been given a mandate coming in to, you know, clean slate. We need to clear the decks. And the thing I find interesting about that is, you know, he's not, Yes, he's got that history that you have to have at Barcelona. You know, he's played for the played for the club. He's been successful as a player at the club, and he's got that you know quite strong personality. But his record as a as a coach and a manager isn't amazing. Um, you know, yes, he's been doing quite well with the with the Dutch team, and it did all right at Southampton. Um, Everton was a bit of a disaster, but that's it. And you're coming in, you are giving this guy the authority to take a broom through Barcelona, one of the biggest football clubs in the world. I just find that that's a lot of faith. I think he's a, he's a terrible manager, but I don't think he's John's John's right. The, the most important uh, peg in this, in this story is the presidential elections. Kuman is nothing more than a, than an insolvency administrator right now. Yeah. He, he's, he's coming in with a golden ticket to do whatever he thinks he can do to, to save this you know, this bloke who's showed him face bacon and he's doing it callously. Well, either the, is the, it a golden ticket or is it, a, well, is no, it actually it's a poison not, chalice? It's, it's, of course it's, it's poison. It's horrible. I don't know how much he's getting paid for it, but he sold his soul. The, the You know, he's he is essentially cancelling Suarez's contract. You seen mm. that? Yeah. He's just gone, yeah. you don't have a place in my team. I'm going to cancel your contract. He's making Suarez redundant. Yeah, that's that the, the legal premise for it. He was no one of their way, best players yeah. this year, without a doubt. Like oh, the, his record <laughs> at Barcelona is is absolutely phenomenal. Like yeah. the um, what Kuman is just. I'm sorry to to say it again, but Kuman's a twat, uh, and, it, <laughs> and he doesn't care. He's cold. He he's emotionless, and he is the reason why you know him coming in is a huge factor to Messi leaving. Messi was grumbling about this for the last six months. Like he knew that there was something rotten from the top down. He knew that all of their players were up for sale. But Messi was in this privileged position at Barca where he knew he could leave when he wanted. He got paid a shitload of money and he everything was built around him anyway. You know, he had a say. He, he was like Thierry Henry at Arsenal. He was, he was the man. Um, but... Koeman said to him a few days ago, your your privilege doesn't exist at Barcelona anymore. You're just another player to me. Yeah. And he's like, well, okay, I'll send in the facts. See ya. Uh, I, so I genuinely think, here's my, here's my tip for the top, right? I think that this time in four months, Neymar and Messi will be at Man City. Jesus. That's a big call, Jeff. I really want to see that happen. Jeff, our predictions are um, in a couple of weeks' time. You should have said yeah. that. <laughs> well, that gives, that gives, we'll a wild two, card in there, gives so. me two weeks to rethink it. But <laughs> I, I, I genuinely think that there is a huge possibility of that happening. Messi's on a free because he's cancelling his own contract. As long as he's legally allowed to do what he's yeah. said he's going to do, John, he's coming for free. It's just wages. All you got to do is buy Neymar. Neymar was on a five-year deal when he moved to PSG, and that was three years ago. So, you know, yes, Neymar does cost a lot of money, but actually PSG were willing to sell him last year. It's just Barcelona couldn't afford him. And Man City don't give a shit. Yeah, well, um, I'm going to move on and run through a couple of little bits of transfer news and bits and bobs. Chelsea look like they're going to sign Kai Havertz for 90 million, Thiago Silva at centre-back and Ben Chilwell at left-back. So 
how they get through financial fair play, who knows? But, but uh, they've not bought, bought anyone for the last couple of years, John. So they've they've got a bit of money true. in the bank. And you know, we were talking about defenders. The fact that the whole world's scrambling over a thirty-five-year-old Thiago Silva is just another example that there are no good so defenders true. out there. There's no one. Um, <laughs> Arsenal are selling a defender, Maitland Niles, and Wolves are picking him up for twenty million, which I think is actually a really good signing. Of all the defenders to sell. Yeah. <laughs> Arsenal, you've got some of the worst defenders in the world. You Did you sell Maitland Niles? Jesus. Um, James Madison signed a new contract at Leicester, so he's not going anywhere. Um, Leeds have signed Rodrigo from Valencia for 30 million, who's 29 and scored 59 goals in 220. That's a games. bit of an odd one, isn't it? It stinks of, I'm in the Premier League, let's buy a guy who's played in a fancy league for loads of money. He's going to be crap. Mm. Flop of the year written all over him. Oh, I look forward to discussing that in a few weeks, but but I think, you know, I'm going to do the whole Guardiola's the nuts. If Bielsa likes him, there's got to be something in him. True. Yeah, true, I'll give you that. Um, and does anyone have any side stories? Yeah, you see the news about Malaga this week? No. No. Oh. So you know Malaga, of, uh, they're in Syria B. Syria B? Syria B? No, La Liga B. They're in Spain. Liga B. Liga B. Liga B. In Liga B. Liga B. They are being forced to lay off a whole heap of their first team. So once again, they're using redundancy. They're making first team squad players redundant. Wow. Why are they be, just from because of financial reasons? Or if they don't um, make drastic measures to cut costs, they're going to go into liquidation as a football club. So their drastic measures include hugely reducing their wage bill, and by doing that, the only thing they can do is make players redundant. So, and I say it because I've not heard until Suarez and Malaga this week. I've not heard of redundancy in football. Do you know, yeah, like it's, not it's it's happened in um, league. League Two already. This. <laughs> yeah, but, but <laughs> yeah, Barcelona. Okay. To, no, no, no. Oh, but I mean, no, no, I understand. I understand what you're saying, Rog. The, but, the COVID but, concept in terms of making your best yeah. players uh, redundant. But you know, pre-COVID, I you almost feel like the idea of a redundancy package doesn't apply to first-team footballers. You know, they're bought and sold mm. like like a commodity. They're not they're not things that can be made redundant. People that can be made redundant. True. But to think they're they're making half their first team redundant and they're Malaga. They're they're you know, aside with history and great, I'm not going to say great achievements, but they're, they're a significant footballing team. Um, I think it's a, it's a tragedy, but it's an interesting first domino, isn't it? I am. Um, I have a side story about Victor Lindelof. Did anyone see what Victor Lindelof did? This oh week? yeah, did he, catch, did he catch a burglar? <laughs> he did. So he was back home in Sweden, just enjoying a bit of brunch. Um, and then a 90 year old lady's handbag got stolen. A guy ran off with it and Lindelof, Chased him down, got the handbag back, and uh, the lady offered to buy him lunch to say thanks. It's there's there's a bit of this which is like it could only happen in Sweden. Do you know what I mean? Like it, <laughs> it's a little bit bizarre that there was even a robbery because you know that yeah. doesn't happen in Sweden. Everyone's just nice to each other. But then the one time it does happen, there happens to it involves a 19 year old lady. But there's also a famous footballer there who saves the day. Do you know what I mean? It's just like he could have run that quick when he was defending for Man United. <laughs> it would be great if the story finished that Lindelof gave him two krona and he ran away and bought himself a cake. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> um, the other side story. I oh, they use Euros now. Sorry, Euros. 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 Um, 
it's the A-League Grand Final this weekend. So Melbourne City played today. and They won 2-0. Won 2-0, so they're in the Grand Final. And then the other semi-final is on right now. It's probably half-time-ish. Oh, have uh, a look. Jeff is just looking on the internet I now. feel really bad in that my engagement levels with the A-League were... Half-time, 2-0, Sydney. Ra- rapidly diminished, right? Yes. Mm. You know, diminished a lot over the last few seasons from the point of where I was almost getting interested. You know, you guys have been trying to get me interested and there was a point where, you know, Tim Cahill came in and and got to a point where the standard got to a certain point and then it nosedived. Where now, I couldn't even tell you that the A-League was back. Do you know what I mean? I just, I don't care. And if I'm, I mean, how how is the A-League going? Are they... Terribly. Yeah. Horrendous, horrendous, horrendous. Yeah. Um, and, it's completeness. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> there's, no, there's no other way to put it. The the pressure the players have been put under during this mess, you know, the last three or four months is is really unjust. So players have been taking pay cuts to help their clubs survive the COVID crisis. But beyond Arsenal players taking 5% or whatever, players taking 30 40%, 50%, and then being asked this to now permanently accept those cuts in order to have their team survive the next year. Players are turning around going, it's not my responsibility to save this football club. It's not my responsibility. You know, and the, the pressure being put on them is, well, if this club goes bust, I mean, the league is next, isn't it? So these, these poor players, and just think players in Australia, they don't get paid no. good money. Doesn't They're, the A-League own all the clubs as well? Isn't it? It's licenses. It's like the US yeah. Um But the... the Play, you know, the average salary for an A-League footballer in Australia is $50,000 a year. That, so if you're being asked to take a 30% pay cut and you earn 50 grand a year, that's below minimum wage. You've got to take a job. And this is a professional professional league. So it's it's a disgrace what's happening with the A-League here. The, um, I just think it's an indictment on the people that have been running the A-League for the last few years in that, to me, there is no doubt that there is a market, there is a viable market for a functioning football league in Australia. Yes, there are difficulties in terms of the size of the country and the time zones, but the kids all play football. There is a market there. It is an an indictment. It's the largest participation sport in this country up until a certain age. I think it's a disgrace. And, um, yeah, so it's going it's going downhill quick, and it's going to need some huge reform, some huge investment, some huge public engagement to even survive the next year. But the, the grand final is on Sunday, so we oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Get excited. And, and I mean, you know, and Sydney are probably one of the best teams the A League's ever had, right? Mm, Great, oh, yeah, they've been brilliant for years. Um, that all gets forgotten. Any other side stories before we go on to end game? Uh, you've got Jack Wilshire on the running order, John. What was that about? Well, I put Jack Wilshire on there because just because West Ham are trying to get him off his their wage bill, he's getting <laughs> hundred grand a week. Has he played a game for them yet? No, and 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 hundred grand a week, and he's not even injured at the moment. They're just like, no, we don't want to play this guy. What happened to Jack Wilshire? He's only twenty-seven, uh, twenty-eight still. Like he could have been brilliant. Turns out, wow. Well, Injuries? I mean, look. It wasn't. It didn't take a rocket surgeon, did it, to to, to predict that was going to happen? But it, but there was that game he played for Arsenal against Barcelona, and he ran the show. And Xavi and Iniesta were playing, and you're like, hang on, we've suddenly got a world beater. But he did it once at 21, never again. Yeah, too many injuries. Um, are we ready for end game? Yes, me. Yes. Okay. So 
This is the last of the mini European tournament end games. Um, I have one point. Rog has one point. Jeff has no points. Now, this oh. is the last one. <laughs> if you get this, then it's all 1-1-1. One, 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 and I actually have a decider that we can use to win between the three of us. If you don't win, Jeff, it means Rog wins and we all hate life. So there's no pressure, but make sure you win. Have you been favourable to me, John? <laughs> I actually haven't. I should have been, shouldn't oh. I? I haven't at all. So, it's European, Jeff. Everton don't get there very often. This game is <laughs> between... So at the start of the podcast, um, Rog did a question. I was going to do a question, which was, when did PSG last not score in a Champions League game? And that was in April 2016 against Man City. Wow. So 35 games ago until the final the other day. So the game is that game. So it's Man City 1, PSG 0 in April 2016. Pellegrini and Laurent Blanc are the managers. And Jeff, because we want you to win, you can go first. Aguero. Correct. Roger uh, Gibbs. David Silva. Correct. Vincent Company. He is not playing, so he must have been oh, injured. God damn it. Jeff. Zlatan. Hold on. Rogers, go. Oh, sorry. Don't say Zlatan. Um, Tiago Silva. Correct. Jeff? Uh KDB. Correct. Uh, 2016. Cavani. Correct. We're on fire. Look at us go. Um, Jeff, you said one earlier. You said one like a minute ago. Zlatan. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> 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 I feel I feel like I should protest a little here, but um, I won't. Um, oh, he's got his thinking face on. Otamendi. Correct. Good call. Who was the Man City manager again? Sorry, uh, Pellegrino. Pellegrini. Waterboy. Zabaleta. He was on the bench and he did not come on. Oh. Um, I have to get one still, do oh, I? Yeah, you have to get one right, Rog, to win. Joe Hart? Correct. Oh, really? 2016? Yeah. Yeah, because Joe Hart only left when Pep arrived. Oh, God damn it, Roger. Oh, that means Rog wins the European Cup. Comprehensive. <laughs> <laughs> So the teams were Man City were Joe Hart, Sanya, Otamendi, Mangala, Glishi. Oh, Mangala. Uh, Mangala. He was a disaster. <laughs> he was a disaster. <laughs> £40 million pound disaster. Uh, Fernandinho and Fernando. Jesus Navas, De Bruyne, Silva, Aguero. And PSG were Trap, Marquinhos, Silva, Serge Aurier. Uh, Maxwell, Di Maria, 
Thiago Motta, Rabio, and then someone called G Van D dot dot dot. And I haven't got enough. Spe- it doesn't come up on my phone. I don't know who it is. G Van. Yeah. Giovanni Van. Giovanni and Zlatan up front. Let's see. I'll click on him. See. Ah, oh, Van de Veel. Gregory Van de Veel. Gregory. Mm, there you go. Well, it's been a really long and painful and drawn out season. Thanks for being with me for the last year. Yeah, I was going to say thanks for everyone for listening because it has been a long 14 month season. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we are going to have a week off next week. We're going to have a week break, pre season break. We're going to do our pre season training, do some exercises, get fit and healthy, buy new Aldi wine. Um, and then be back in two weeks with our predictions for the new season. Wow. Which is kind of ridiculous. I've got no, who, like, I don't know what to predict for next season. It's not Maybe even finished. Be a this season's pandemic. not finished. It's like, how do we expect it to be any different? How do you expect teams to be different? They've not had a holiday. They've not had a preseason. The whole thing's fucked. That's my final thought. Good point, Jeff. Good point. Um, has anyone got anything before we go? Well, yeah, I feel like we should say something to leave on a lighter note, but I, I mean, <laughs> it, it's me, so nothing springs to mind. Well, okay. well, thanks for listening, everyone. We will be back uh, in two weeks' time uh, for next season, with a season, a week off with our predictions. Um, don't forget, if you want to get in contact, ask us questions, tell us we're wrong about something, just find us on Facebook or shoot us an email at footballshedpodcast at gmail.com or look at our website, which is footballshed.com. And we'll be back next season, which is just in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. See ya. Bye. 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 Bye.